Hello and welcome to the Happier at Work podcast with your host, Aoife O'Brien. The podcast for anyone who wants to be happier at work. We spend so much of our time at work. Everyone deserves to be happier at work. Hello and welcome to episode four in the leadership series of the Happier at Work podcast. In today's episode, I speak with Tim Kidd from Cantor Roll Panel. Now, I wanted to get Tim on for a chat because to this day, uh, working at Cantor Roll Panel has been one of my favorite jobs. And I wanted to ask him a little bit more about what makes Cantor such a great place to work. So welcome, Tim, to the Happier at Work podcast. Uh, Would you like to introduce yourself to listeners? Yeah, sure, Aoife. Um, So my name's Tim Kidd. I'm currently the... um, European Managing Director for Kantar's World Panel Division, um, which is uh, a business in sort of market research and insight. We look at um, basically what people buy, what people consume, why they do that, all to try and understand people better and to then help our clients to to help them grow their businesses. Fantastic. And Tim, the reason I wanted to get you on the podcast today was because I, I, I actually worked at Cantar Royal Panel. I left more than 10 years ago at this stage, but to this day, it's still one of the best places I worked. I really, really enjoyed my time there. And I wanted to speak to you more about, what, you know, what what is it? You know, what does it take to create, as a leader, what does it take to really create a place that's really great to work? So I'd love to talk to you about that. Well, and I'm still sad that you left, even though it's 10 years ago now, Aoife, but um but yeah, it's um, you know I've been here for twenty seven years, so I've I've um, I've put a, <laughs> a lot of my life into uh, into the business here, and, and and I think one of the reasons that I've stayed for so long, and one of the things that I've tried to do in more the recent ten years when I've been responsible for the business, is to not just say that it's a people business, but to try as much as possible to make it really a people business, and, and I've got a very simple sort of almost a mantra on this, which is if you get the people part of a business right and you deliver the people in the business growth then I think the clients that we have will grow as well and it could be their business grows their brand share grows they get personal growth they they grow in experiences I don't know it's also you know growth is a different thing to every individual and if we get client growth then clients will then want to buy more of our services and we'll get the business growth that in the end our shareholders want but I think if you approach it the other way around, which is to do whatever you can to sell more and to have a new business team that's very effective and, I don't know, push your prices up or whatever tools people use to, you know, to focus on the business growth end, they may work. But I'm convinced that actually if you if you get the people piece working as well as it can do, then, then actually you've got by far the best chance of success and probably by far the best chance of the biggest success. So, So it's a very simple sort of, approach that I believe and I sort of believe that because I think when I've been growing in the earlier parts of my career I've been lucky to be in businesses that are like that and I think those businesses have been successful so it's sort of this isn't some sort of I don't know um, business expert book that I've read that that tells me that it's just a combination of what I see works and and what I believe works as well so so that's the sort of mantra I've I've led under quite simple really yeah, yeah, simple, but not easy, probably. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I have to agree with you. I think putting the people first is really, really important. So I suppose what are the steps towards actually doing that? Well, yeah, it's, 
lots of I think it's lots of little things really, but but with um with with a, a real strong intent not to get knocked off the people strategy path. So so the little things could be I don't know simple stuff like I don't know we do breakfast club on a Friday when we buy everybody breakfast in the canteen and and um you know, people come and socialise. There's no, you know, I don't stand up and give any sort of business speech about what's going on, or ask people to, you know, to 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 interact in any, in any form in any formal sort of way. It's just a bit of a chance to, you know, to take the nose off the grindstone and to, you know, and to and to have a bit of sort of social interaction, a bit of fun. It's a bit of a thank you. You know, we give everyone it's four pounds free breakfast. It's not it's not life changing amounts of money, but I think it's a sort of a symbol of. A number of things. First of all, it's a little thank you, so it's a symbol of you know gratitude for the work that people do. It's a it's a sign that you know the people interactions are as important as interactions between us and our clients, or you know business interactions. Um, and I think you know finding loads of those things. I think I think you know just gives people a continued reinforcement of the fact that you know the, the working here is it's you know it's it's a good thing that people want to do, you know, actually people enjoy coming to work. You know, some days we have rubbish days and, you know, many days are very busy and, you know, but actually the often the reason people work here and I think enjoy working here isn't just to earn money, you know, it's to, it's to have a fulfilling day and to have um, an opportunity for personal growth. And like I say, that growth, I think is very different for different people. Some people are very money motivated. Some people are very experiential motivated. Some people love recognition. Some people like the camaraderie of the group they work in. You know, it's very, very different things for very different people. And I think, I think trying to find something that, that, that means something to every individual in the business is really important. There's a few things there that I want to pick up on, I suppose, I mean, I'd love to share what I enjoyed about working there. I, I, I worked there for three and a half years in total. And like I say, I, the only reason I left was because I wanted to go traveling. I wanted to live in Australia. And that was my time to do that. And what I loved about working there was that, like you mentioned, the social element to it. I really, like there was always something going on, whether someone was joining or leaving, or there was always that kind of social element I really enjoyed the work that I did and it mm. had a great sense of meaning for me as well. Um, I loved helping clients. I loved analyzing the data, uh, really interesting data. Um, and I always had really great interactions with the people. I just thought the people who were who worked there were really, really great as well. Um, there were a few things there that you, you mentioned. So Breakfast Club, well, that didn't exist when I was there. So now I feel like I've missed out a little bit on a, on a four-pound breakfast every Friday. Um, but like I say, it's it's this symbol of gratitude. And gratitude is a huge contributor to being happier at work. And even if you if you think and if you say it's only something small, if pe- people feel appreciated for the work mm. that they've actually done. Um, you mentioned that people enjoy coming to work. I certainly enjoyed coming to work uh, every day when I worked there. Um, the fulfillment piece and people feel like they're making a difference to clients or even to the world at large because the insights that they're providing do make a difference to what shows up on the supermarket shelves. Mm. Um, and the growth piece, you're so right about people feel or, or people find different um different ways to grow and like you say some people are motivated by money some people are motivated by um 
you know, just learning and development. Some people are, are motivated by recognition and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think for me, uh, another great thing about working there was the investment in people. So the training mm-hmm. and development that existed. And I probably at the time took it for granted because in companies I've worked at since then, there hasn't been that same level of investment in people and mm-hmm. developing people people's skills, whether they be technical skills or the, the kind of softer skills or management skills, like there was a huge investment, um, especially before people became managers. It was like, and this is how you manage people rather than just sending people into the deep end and say, you're a manager now and we'll give you a training course in a few months when you, mm-hmm. you know, when you find your feet a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you're so right. And it's, I suppose it's about understanding the different needs that, that people have. And that's something I just spoke about at a talk yesterday. Um, so it, and equipping managers to have those conversations with people as well. Um, so any any kind of thoughts around the, the people development side of things? Yeah, so a lot of uh, there's been a lot of change in our business in the 10 years since you left. So so the, the business I manage in the UK is about 600 people. So it's a decent sized business in its own right, but we're part of a much bigger organization that that's um, globally got about 23,000, 24,000 people in it. Uh, and one of the things that I think I think probably, ha- well, logically has to happen in any company that's growing is they get bigger. Obviously, that, that's yeah. what growing means. As companies get bigger, they, they get more structured perhaps and more centralised and... Um, and I think there's many benefits in doing that. You know, you have efficiencies, you have best practice sharing, all those sort of things. But one thing that there's a risk of happening is that you lose the um, the, the sort of the, the more um, fine-tuned and personalised link between the big organisation and the parts of the organisation. So if you take the learning and development piece um, that... Uh, that you just referred to, you know, 10 years ago, we, we did that all ourselves within our division. Um, now that's much more centralized and there's loads of benefits to making it centralized. But one of the things that we've had to do, I think, is to just shout louder to make sure that we don't lose that, that sort of element of that, that makes it, you know, the balances, I suppose, the need for our group wide approach and our group wide style and our group wide sort of, personality and voice but then to match what actually we have in the culture of a business of 600 people because you know in the end you can't make the culture of a 24,000 strong um, business be the same in every office in every country and in businesses that do different things so so there's a real balance I think between maintaining that sort of what's appropriate for the 600 people in my team to what's appropriate for the 24,000 people in the bigger business and that that's been quite a well, the challenge. I think it is a challenge to do. You know, it's a it's a conflict of of those two things. And I think I think one of the things that I've I've tried to do, and sometimes it's easier than others, is to make sure that that balance is right, um, so that we continue to give people the skills they need to do their job, which is you know different here to maybe other bits of, of wider Cantar, um, but also do that in a way that fits the culture and the. The, the, the sort of personality of the business as well. And I think we've done that, but it will look very different today than 10 years ago when 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 you were exposed to it. And, um, you know, really, I think that's just reflecting two things, I suppose. One is the company's got bigger. And two is 
things are done differently nowadays. You know, things are much more, I don't know, centralised. And, you know, a lot of things, you know, like this, you know, this is a very digital platform. You know, whoever's listening to this can't see our faces, you know, and, and that's a big part of, you know, personal communication. And, um, and you know, I think I think trying to, trying to make sure that the personal personality and personalization carries on in a way that engages each individual in the way that suits them best to be engaged in their role and in their company and with their teams um, to do that in a, in a, in a world that's getting probably in some ways depersonalized is, is quite a challenge. Um, and you know, and one that I think when all when all businesses will face. You know, I think I think every, every company that's um, that's on a sort of an upwards trajectory will will face these same sort of pressures at some points in time. Absolutely. And so, something you mentioned a couple of times was the culture of the organisation. So, mm-hmm. how would you describe the culture? And I suppose what I'd love to get to is, as a leader, how do you um, facilitate or enable that culture to exist? Well, I think um, I think one very very important word in in that question is is the leader word. You know, so, so I think what what I learned when I started managing well, it wasn't six hundred people ten years ago, but four hundred and fifty or whatever we were then, is that actually you stop at some point as you become more and more senior in a business, you stop doing the job and you start managing people doing the job and leading people that do the job. And I think one thing that that took me a while to learn really, but is is actually as a as the leader, you need to lead, you know, and, and what I always picture in my head, somebody in an old fashioned um sitting on a horse in a suit of armor, you know, with a flag at the front of a of a battalion of cavalry, you know, going into battle, you know. <laughs> it's it's probably not quite what business is like these days. But you know, you you need to be leading people somewhere. You need people need to know where they're going. And you sort of need to go there with them, and, and ideally at the front, not the back. Um, and you know that's a very different. You know, battle is very different to business, but but in a sense, the, the leadership thing is really important. So one of the things that I think I learned quite quickly was that was that as as the leader, you need to be very clear about what it is we're doing, where we're going, and that clarity needs. Brevity, you know, actually, you need to be able to explain what you're doing in four words, not four paragraphs, because um, in the end, people won't remember four paragraphs, and they'll then make up the four words themselves, which will be different. <laughs> so, so, that, so, so, in a sense, actually, you know, everybody probably isn't walking in a, you know, the the. I don't expect my business to be like a battalion of soldiers where we're all walking in line, marching exactly in step. You know, you want people to be going off in slightly different directions and at different speeds, and you know, maybe they'll stop for a cup of tea at some point when everyone else is carrying on moving forwards. But you know, you basically want to be going. You know, I, I picture myself saying, "Right, guys, we're going over there," and everyone, you know, in the end, will arrive where we're going to, and then and they know when they when they get there. So, so that, so that's, I think, is a really important part of, of the culture is actually to know what we're doing, you know, where we're going, and be clear about it, and concise about it, and obviously, you know, fairly consistent. You know, the direction can change, but if it changes every day, then people just won't bother following you. And then underneath that, once once you've sort of done the leady bit, you know, this is where we're going bit, then I think how you get there is a mixture of 
you know, technical stuff to do with what, what your business does. You know, what do you make? What are you selling? Who are your clients? That's very different and very explicit for a different business. But the culture around that, I think, is something that, that, that again, can come from the leadership. And I think again has to be consistent and clear. So, so one of the things that, that we that we in our business do is, I mean, we're quite a young business. We we recruit a lot of graduates every year, and we and a lot of the people that have been here for a long period of time joined as graduates and have grown through through the business, and you know have had very long, uh, you know, high degree of longevity of of tenure here. Um, and and it allows us to build a culture that has a lot of stickability. You know, so it doesn't change a lot. And the culture is built on. Uh, quite a lot of trust, you know. So a lot of a lot of the people that we have that either make our information or deliver it to our clients are pretty young, and and we have a a very strong degree of trust in you know if we think you can do the job and if we chuck you in the deep end, we're pretty sure you can swim. Then then we do that. We don't, you know, we give people a lot of autonomy. We give people a lot of, um, you know, people can work at home if they want to. There's a lot of people working our clients' offices. Um, you know, we don't have time, you know, clocking in and clocking out or anything like that. We have a very flexible approach to how people do their jobs. And we trust people to not abuse that. And probably, you know, 99 people out of 100 behave like an adult in that context and don't abuse the trust. And we're just, you know, our job is just to find the one in 100 that maybe just needs to be pushed back into line, um, rather than assuming all 100 are, are abusing the system and can't be trusted. And there's, you know, that's one example of trust. There's loads of examples of trust, I think. But fundamentally, we have a we have a business or a culture where where people believe we trust them, feel they have autonomy to make, you know, the decisions that they're able to make and have the skills and the the ability to do. And 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 I think that adds a lot to people's, you know, um, job satisfaction. You know, they come to work not sitting down, being told every minute what to do by the manager you know they have a lot of de- a high degree of discretion and an autonomy in terms of how they do the job and what what they end up doing i mean of, of course we have clear goals you know the the leading the leadership part of that is you know the the business targets that we have to do which is you know a mixture of financial targets and things like client satisfaction surveys and employee engagement surveys and so on but you know but how we get there is you know is is a you know, each individual has a degree of choice about how they can achieve those targets, and I think I think people value that. So, so trust is a really important piece. I think almost of all the values of the business I have, um, I think trust is the one that's most important, and actually really fits the people culture. You know, if you if you have a bunch of great people that you've developed and engaged and are growing, but you don't trust them, then it sort of it's all a bit pointless, really. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um... So there's a few things that you said there around, and it, and you mentioned the word autonomy a few times, and that that's mm. quite interesting because the research that I'm doing, I'm doing a master's at the moment in organizational behavior, and the research I'm doing is around how a sense of um, fit is driven by people's satisfaction of needs at work, and one of those universal needs that everyone has is autonomy. Mm. And it's interesting that you say about it's you need to give them the direction. So if if people have not enough autonomy, they're being micromanaged and and like you say, like or the kind of opposite of what you said. And I definitely found that experience when I was there. You know, you're managing your own clients, and it's not your boss telling you what to do. It's it's you're given the autonomy to manage those clients yourself. 
Um, but also, um, so if someone has not enough autonomy, they're being micromanaged, essentially. Mm. But if they have too much autonomy, they have a, a, a lack of direction. So they don't know which mm. way to go. So you, you seem to have found a balance right of we're, we're telling them where we're going, but we're, we're trusting them and we're giving them autonomy to to kind of go and, and get it done, basically. Mm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and and unfortunately, that balance is has, diff- has a different tipping point for each individual. You know, so, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. you know, you, you don't get it right for everybody all the time. But I think if you get it right for most people most of the time, then it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the way that the people piece of the jigsaw works best, I think. And, um, you know, and, and actually, you know, selfishly, I mean, we, you know, I, I don't have a people focus just because I like my team and I want them to like me, you know, it's, it's actually because it delivers the best results. And, um, you know, I, I think if you give people autonomy to do the job the best way, the way they think it's best, um, the business benefits, you know, it, the, the team like their job better, but actually the clients get a better result as a, as, as an outcome of that. And, in the end, they buy more from us, you know, so it, it's back to that virtuous circle, you know, the get the people piece right and everything else sort of falls into place. Um, but for sure, you know, the, the risk of it, the risk of having a relatively free form, slightly more autonomous, um, you know, with, within broad sort of guidelines of where we're, where we're headed, the risk is that, you know, not everybody, um, you know, most people work well in that environment but some will, will struggle and some people need more direction and need more guidance and you know clear goals every day and all those sort of things and and you know I guess it's hard for those people to operate in a slightly more ambiguous world yeah so there's some people who yeah definitely are a bit more reliant on being told what to do rather than mm. kind of being solution driven and figuring things out that that um that they what they need to do for themselves, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually, on you know, in 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 the business, I mean, there are people here in my team who, you know, classically our client service people are out of the office a lot, and they'll be much more autonomous in terms of how they handle their clients and satisfy their needs and so on. There's equally people who do a, an equally important job, but their job is very. Um, you know, it, it, it's a lot more similar every day. And, and actually though those teams and the people in those teams will have a much more rigid sort of working day. And, um, but what they do, you know, I need those people to be as happy and engaged as everybody else, you know. So, so that's another challenge, which is to make, you know, everybody feel equally like they're in the, the, the culture applies to them equally, the, the direction we've got applies to them equally. Um, but actually they're, their day-to-day working lives are different, and um, I want everyone to feel, you know, equally valued in a, in a in a business where, you know, where a lot of those factors are actually quite different for different teams. And that sort of ties in, Tim, with what you were saying earlier. So, of being part of an organisation with twenty-four thousand, is it people? Yeah, yeah, twenty-four thousand people, but but being. Um, having a subset then of 600 people and then we went on to talk about the, the culture around that and and then even within those 600 people then that there's there's going to be kind of subcultures within that mm-hmm. so I suppose as a leader how how do you manage that or how do you 
create that clarity and um, consistency for those people within within the kind of grander scheme of things? Hmm. So, so the way I've done that, and I'm sure it's different for each individual leader, but I think I think there's two broad elements to the answer to that question. So, element number one is is to be clear on the important things, which I think come down to the values. So, things like the trust thing, for example, to be very clear on what that means to me, and therefore what I what it means what it needs to mean to my leadership team, so that then it cascades down through the business. So, so on the trust piece, you know, I, I think different managers will have different levels of trust for their teams, and, and some are innately trustful, and some are innately not trusting, and and trying to get that balanced across teams is actually quite diff, quite difficult. You know, different managers will have different approaches to that. But but for me to to stand up myself and for my management team, my leadership team. To also stand up and say we are a trusting business. We don't expect you to have to clock in and out every day. We, you know, if you want to work at home, you know, let us know. But that's fine. You know, as long as you get the job done. I think all those things can be consistent experiences for everybody across the across the team. And if some managers have got, you know, concerns about that, then then you know you can re- you can resolve that at the sort of individual manager level. Um, and I think the other thing that's really important for, for me as the leader is to walk the talk, you know, to go around, you know, to, you know, to, 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 beha- you know, to, to role model it, what, what all these, you know, what the culture of the business is. So, so what I do is, is, um, you know, I spend a lot of time and possibly, possibly too much time, maybe some might argue, but a lot more time getting to know my internal colleagues and trying to know all of them and, you know, if I pass them on the stairs in the office, I'll stop and have a chat and, you know, make sure I go to the social events and be the last person to leave and all that sort of stuff. So they, so they, so everybody hopefully understands that I'm interested and invested in them personally and individually. Um, and, you know, I probably do that more than I get to know our clients, which is maybe the wrong way around. But, uh, you know, that's, that's the sort of back to my approach, which I think is if you get the people piece right, then everything else follows. Um and I think I think if you build up a, if you've got the opportunity to build up a, you know, at least a little bit of a personal relationship with everybody that's in your team, then 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 you as the leader can reinforce all of the stuff that you want the culture to be like, and all of the stuff around where the business is going and so on. And and also, you know, not not for everything to be heavy work stuff. You know, ask people how the weekends were. You know. I don't know, joke about the fact that the sausages in the breakfast club this week look a bit undercooked. You know, there's all sorts of, um, you know, all sorts of ways of interacting with people. And and I, I think, you know, one of the other sort of cultural things we have in the business, which I think is probably the same as when you were here, is that, you know, we take our job seriously and we take our, you know, doing the right thing for our clients seriously, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously, you know, so we can, we can sort of, uh, you know, let our hair down or laugh at ourselves a bit or, you know, and I think in many ways, you know, being an agency with lots of clients, you know, our our our, our clients generally are really, you know, great. You know, have fantastic relationships with them. But you know, sometimes clients give us a hard time, and and we sort of, you know, I think as as an agency where everyone has days like that, you know, we all pull together and you know and can help each other through the tough days as well as the fun days. Absolutely, and I, I you know, I I do remember that. So you have good days, you have bad days, you have 
yeah. great client experiences, not so good client experiences. But yeah. something um, that you didn't explicitly say, but I'm reading between the lines, and I think it was in one of our email exchanges as well, is the idea of fun. So um, yeah. fun being kind of maybe one of the core values that it's it's okay to have fun at work because, yeah. you know, it's okay to be happy at work. <laughs> um, something I'd love to, to touch on as well, Tim, is um, it, it, kind of going back to something you had said earlier around managing and when you first became a manager and then you'd kind of discovered what it meant to be a leader. So I'd love to get your take on, I suppose, initially the difference between a manager and a leader. Um, and I, I'd love to talk a bit more about how maybe some people are good managers and some people maybe not so good and what makes a really, really good leader? So it's kind of three elements to that question, I suppose, without causing too much confusion. Well, I feel slightly um, slightly fraudulent to tell you what makes a really good leader because I'm not, never quite sure that I am. But, but um, so, well, so that, I, I, I suppose I'll... That's... Rule number one, I'll say, is humility. And, you know, you've demonstrated that right now. So, yeah, <laughs> take that back. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I think in my decades of work, I realised that, you know, one of, actually one of the things I've learned personally and when I mentor people, I, I think it, I think it's a, an obvious thing that people don't realise. But, you know, nobody's perfect in what they do. We, we all, everybody has days when they lack confidence and, you know, everyone makes mistakes and all that sort of stuff. So, you, so you, you know, you, you, I think I've realised over the years that, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sort of comfortable in my skin, really. I, you know, whether I'm good or bad, you know, I've got the job I've got and I'm doing it okay. And, you know, I shouldn't fret too much about, you know, about, about the, you know, I should, I should focus on the good things that I do and we do and not worry about the mistakes and the bad things. Um, so, so I, I think the, 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 that sort of manager leader thing is, is really interesting. I think in my current role and also probably my previous role, which I managed a much smaller team of about 50 or 60 people. But in both of those, whilst I had a boss, and we all have managers, we all have bosses, don't we? I felt like the buck stopped with me when I was a, when I became a leader. And, you know, that people are looking to you to, to lead and to say where we're going, and they're looking at you to, you know, answer the questions, solve the issues, you know, fix stuff, um, I don't know, launch new good things. You know, I think... I think as I think the realization that, that I had was that that sort of when you're a leader the buck stops with you and it doesn't always but if you're doing your job properly most of the things stop with you you know you don't if you're always going to your boss to make decisions or and get advice or whatever then then you know probably you're not a leader you're you're actually still managing and you're managing a much bigger thing but you're not leading it um, so and I think managers by contrast you know, do a great job, um, you know, essentially doing doing what their team does slightly better. So, so I learned when I became a leader that I'm much worse at everybody who works for me at their job than they are themselves. <laughs> you know, so okay, I'm yeah, yeah. jack of all trades and master of none. You know, so what my job is, is to lead. I'm, I'm not anymore a very good data analyst i'm not very good at selling stuff to clients i'm not very good at the operational stuff you know there's people in my business that are fantastic at all those things and they're much better than than i am and probably ever was um whereas as a manager you sort of i always think you need to be better than the better at your job than the people who work for you are at their job 
So, so that I think those two things, the buck stops here thing, is one difference, and the realization that actually everyone you, everyone who you manage, everyone who you lead, is better at what they do than you can be, is is you know both both those things are quite sort of humbling and and um, important realizations to take. And once you take those, then you know once you realize that the people you manage are better at their jobs than than you are. Um, you know, then you then you give them the space to do it. You're not always trying to tell them what to do and interfere and see whether they're doing it as well as they can be, because you realise that actually they they are. You know, they they they're doing those jobs because they're great at those jobs, and you're the leader because you're great at leading. And those two things are very different. Absolutely. And what? So we kind of started talking about the qualities of a great leader and humility is kind of something that came up but is there anything else that you have or even a reflection on is it possible for people to be maybe not a great leader or just the where I'm going with this I suppose is on previous podcasts we we spoke about not everyone makes a great manager but there should be opportunities for people to become a technical expert for example based on what you're saying if you you're you're not doing the selling you're not doing but you could have people who are experts at doing that and and rise through the ranks doing that rather than being a leader being good across everything but not excelling in one specific area if that makes sense yeah, I think that's that's very much what I'm saying, and 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 actually, I'm not sure whether the the answer to that question is is answering the question you asked. But one of the one of the really important things I think, probably again, many businesses will face is actually giving people who have a really a really focused expertise in something that is invaluable to the business. But is if you imagine you know the profile of all the skills you've got is just this monster peak that one person's got in one thing, they're brilliant at it and and they're they're either less good at the other stuff or even less interested in it. You know how do you how do you make those people? How do you give those people room for continued growth when actually classically the people who lead the businesses are the ones that are generalists, not specialists? Probably it's probably a, a pretty fair approximation to how things go. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure I found the solution to that, and I'm not sure businesses generally find the solution to that. So if you look at typically who the leaders are in businesses, you know, you probably wouldn't have um, somebody who's a brilliant data analyst leading a business, even though actually that's what our business is. You know, our business is a, for us in Cantel Well Panel, our business is around taking numbers and turning them in analyze them and turning turning them into great insights you know that actually is what we do you know it's um you know if we didn't have people doing if we didn't have the best people doing that our business wasn't wouldn't be as successful as it is and, and giving those people room to grow is doable up to a point but at some point you know when if i was a fantastic data analyst that had been here for 27 years i wouldn't be as senior as i am in my in my sort of general role so so that's a really difficult area that I mean everybody knows about but I'm not sure we've got a solution to yeah it's kind of it's kind of going into the future of work almost where it's Mm. yeah like you say some people are really good and you need those people in the Mm. business yeah and they can potentially rise through the ranks but there's if they're not leading people and that's how work has evolved is if you're Mm. if you're managing people and then if you become a leader that's Mm. that's kind of how how things have evolved and um 
Yeah, but yeah. what I suppose what are the opportunities for that? And and maybe we talk a little bit about the future of work and the the potential for uh, it's not really necessarily the gig economy, but within organisations having teams or hot teams of people to to do specialist work where different people play the role of leader depending on the need of a project. Yeah, it's um, it's a it's a that's a tricky question, isn't it? Um, and again, I think. I think I think organisational life or, or organisational requirements are getting more and more complex and more and more matrixy. So, so if I take if I take my business, you know, we are we are becoming increasingly matrixed on a geographical basis, increasingly matrixed on a on a uh, an expertise basis. Um, you know, I think our clients' expectations are that we'll bring our business together in a much more coherent collaborative joined up way um which which is obviously the right thing to do but it brings real sort of conflicts i think between you know being a specialist at something in in one place to to again you know maybe being somehow having to be more generalist in terms of you know in terms of um you know geography or or expertise and um and i i see and, and that's a big business thing, I guess, rather than a small business thing. But again, I always come back to the point that if if your business is growing, at some point it's going to face these these um, these challenges. And I think um, I think how 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 leaders lead their people through those ambiguities, I think, is really important as well. And I and I I have to say, I find that harder to do than than I do to sort of lead things in what. What I see is my, you know, direct area of responsibility. So the team that works for me, um, and and I think all of all of the sort of tech stuff around the future of business, I think, is important as well. So not just in terms of giving us new things to sell and you know, new new new, um, new new product offers, but in terms of the ways of working, you know. So it's going to be increasingly, you know, people are going to be working at home. Increasingly, the matrix teams are going to be international, where you only ever meet on probably at best on Skype rather than face-to-face or very rarely face-to-face anyway. Um, and, and I think all of that stuff makes all of the stuff we've been talking about already on culture and leadership and so on completely different, you know, because if, if you're a person who only who only comes to the office one day a week and and, and along with 20% of the rest of the team one day a week because everyone else is working different days, then, then the culture thing is a lot tougher to do and, and a lot less obvious and less apparent to, you know, to the people in the team, you know, so breakfast club on a Friday here, you know, if only, if only a fifth of the people turned up to it, it wouldn't, I'd save a bit of money, but it wouldn't really work. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think there's a real challenge there right, in terms of the sort of the people part of the business and, 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 and the cultural bit of the business, which, uh, which I think, I think, you know, is, is going to change unless things change, you know, maybe, maybe at some point, you know, we'll move away from, from you know flexible working and virtual working to you know to some something where you know the people are put back in the same place again and you know you see that to a certain degree and I know in our business you know uh, you know we're building in various countries we're building campus offices where all of the divisions which maybe historically have been in separate places all suddenly come together so you've got different teams you know different days maybe but you know that the, the you know, we're, re- we're recreating that 
the human bit of the business, the human bit of the teams in a, in a different way. And I, I don't know, I, I keep walking past the, the new Google office that's being built in King's Cross in London, which I, th- I think they call it a, a horizontal skyscraper. So it's very long, but not right. very high. You know, that Google clearly get everyone, well, I suppose, I'm sure they do lots of virtual working, but they have, they have the space and the environment to bring people together, you know, to have human contact as well. And, you know, I can see that being something that will, you know, we'll, we'll never lose the need, I think, to get our people together physically as well as audibly and visually. Yeah, I mean, that would be an interesting full circle, I think, if, you know, the, the future of work at the moment that people are talking about is exactly what you're saying, the remote working, the um, working from home, fewer people in the office and it saves companies a bit of money. And yeah. But it, it, I think it's bringing loneliness back to work. And if people are working from home all the time and they don't have that human connection, then maybe the people will see that as kind of an epidemic and come back again to, okay, we need to actually bring people together physically yeah. and not just online because yeah. we're, we're, as, as humans, we're really losing that sense of connection with other people. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I... I I always try and put myself in people's shoes from the way things impact me. And I know that if I watch, if I watch our global CEO doing a video podcast, I'm probably distracted. If I see him face to face in a big meeting, I'll pay much more attention. If I sit down with him one-on-one, it's really productive and engaging for a couple of hours, you know, and, and I try and remember that when I'm communicating to people that, you know, if I'm doing some sort of blah, blah video cast of, you know, of corporate, um, I was going to use a rude word then, I won't, but you know. <laughs> you can <laughs> use rude words on the podcast, it's fine. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, people aren't going to listen, you know, they, in yeah. the end, they don't even bother dialing into it, let alone listening to every word that's, that's on it. So, yeah, you know, and, and you know, that again, it's, it's why people still fly around the world in jets, which I'm sure will stop. But, you know, I get in a plane twice a year to go to New York to see my little team in New York because, it's much more engaging than it is doing something, something remotely. You, you know, you just need to make an effort. I think to, at least from time to time, see people face to face. And maybe, yeah. I'm, maybe I'm an maybe I'm an old dog that can't be taught new tricks. But you know, I think um, yeah, when I when I when I recognise how I interact best with people, I'm assuming you know I'm not a millennial, but you know I know with my kids, you know, they're the same. You know, they, they you know my eldest daughter who's working now, you know, she'll tell me that. You know, when she has her best days, uh, her days at work when her manager's not working from home, you know, and she's 22 and, you know, able to, you know, do social media with one eye and do work with another eye and watch TV with a third eye, you know, it's sort of, uh, <laughs> she's wired differently to me, but I think it's still the same, you've still got the same factors going on because at the end of the day, we're all, we're all just people. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's so much easier to connect with someone face to face than it is. I mean, even doing this podcast, we're recording it online. It's an it is much it makes such a difference to be able to connect with people face to face and you know doing videos or like you can always be checking your emails or doing your work and you're kind of have half listening to what's going on on a video mm-hmm. or on a, a an audio broadcast but you're not really paying that much attention yeah. um you don't have that that kind of human element to it so yeah. um no it's it's really interesting um tim any other thoughts to share around leadership any kind of tips or insights that you'd like to share from you know a, a really long career um whether it's about leadership or managing people or just simply as we've spoken quite a bit about is putting 
putting people first or creating a people-centric organization? Yeah, I, so I, I guess we pro- probably covered off most most points. I mean, the only things that, uh, again, when, when I when I mentor people at work, um, they're obviously always junior to me, but I talked about the confidence piece, which I think is an important one. You know, to not not be not having not having a hundred percent confidence is a, is is a normal thing. You know, that's so that's it's, so we talked yeah, about. Yeah, it's already. just a human. It's human nature, yeah, I think, absolutely. to kind of doubt so, ourselves and question yeah. ourselves. Yeah. So, so you know, don't let your lack of confidence make you even less confident. I suppose is the message. Um, I think the other thing that that um, I mean, maybe again, not answering your question directly, but I think one of the things that I find. I find has stood me in good stead and I've learned over the years is, is firstly, you know, when you work with a great boss yourself, you know, learn from them, work with them, help them, you know, support them, make, make them, make them see you as, you know, I, I guess in the end, their natural success, you know, and, you know, get on the coattails of somebody good is really important and work constructively with them. I think it's really important. I, I think the other thing that sort of ties back both with, with both of those two things. So if you work for somebody really good and you've got, you know, you're pretty self-aware on the self-confidence point of view, I think it's just not to be afraid to ask for help and advice. You know, I, I, I remember, you know, some crunch points in my career where I've been doing stuff where I'm completely out of my depth. And had I not asked for help, I'd have really made a mess up of something and probably, you know, probably hindered my career at the very least, if not, (laughs) if not ended it. And, Mm. um, you know, I, you've always got somebody to ask for help from. So even if you are the absolute leader of an organization with no boss, you know, it's your own business and you own it, there's, you, you still will have and you must make sure you have people who you can go to get help from, you know, people who you can trust the advice of, people who you can talk to without, you know, letting your guard down, if you like. You can, you know, you can be very open and talk through issues. And I, and I think... Um, no, again, I might be wrong, but I think I think it's not a sign of weakness to recognise that you don't necessarily have all the answers, and that and that seeking help is is not a bad thing. It's it's the right thing to do. Um, and you know, I probably in my career haven't done that enough. You know, I think I've always thought that actually you need to, you know, you get on most by knowing all the answers yourself and being the expert in everything and. You know, being the go-to person for other people who have, you know, I don't know, problems or blockages at work or whatever, and, and actually we all have them. And, and you know, asking for help is is an important thing. Asking for advice is an important thing. Just getting people's point of view on stuff. You know, one of the great things I've done in the past few years as I've had responsibility for more countries is is to be able to see. Um, sorry, my laptop keeps making tunes, doesn't it? Sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's not you know not not think it's a bad thing to, I don't know, to go to the French team and ask them how they do something differently and, and learn from best practice. So those are probably the things I'd, I'd add to what we've talked about today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we did talk, we, well, we, we touched on um, on confidence, but it's, it's interesting what you say about work for someone really good. So someone who you admire, who you can learn from. But mm. this whole thing around asking for help, you're absolutely spot on because I think a lot of people really struggle with asking for help and they feel like they need to be the expert at mm-hmm. what they're doing. And it, it, I, I speak quite often about imposter syndrome and it, mm-hmm. it is this sense of 
you feel you you need to have all the answers yourself otherwise you don't deserve to be where you are mm-hmm. and and things like that so these types of ideas get into people's heads where it's not okay to ask for help when actually asking for help is is a great sign of strength yeah but it's a great sign of humility it's a great sign of um you know being able to I suppose surround yourself with people who have expertise that you don't have because mm-hmm. you can't be good at everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's recognizing that and recognizing that, that certain people have strengths or even just getting different perspectives on things. So like you were saying, going to the French team and saying, well, how do you do things? Because, you know, I'd love to, to kind of learn what best practice means for you so you can learn. And it's mm-hmm. like learning and growth, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. Absolutely, absolutely right. And I suppose you know, never, never. The day that you think you know it all is the day you should give up. I think because yeah. we never do, do we? It's always opportunities to learn. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Great. So, Tim, the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast: What makes you happier at work? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so, I don't know. I could. I, well, the, the days I look back on when when I think I've had a brilliant day are are typically days when it's to do with something to do with people. So I don't I don't want to say a sort of a bland, you know, I've changed somebody's life or helped somebody that you know was stuck or you know, I, I think it's days when when I look at whatever the organization or the team is that I'm in. So it could be the business here, my team here, it could be you know, going, I still do go to clients. So, you know, there's people better at it than me, but you know, the days when you meet clients and you, you have just have a really good constructive day. You know, people are all on song. They're all engaged. We have a bit of fun as well. That's still an important thing to do. And, 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 you know, when you sort of finish something and you, you have a bit of a spring, a spring in your step because it went well and, you know, people say it went well and, you know, and, and you know that you've made a, difference i suppose those are the days that make me make me happy um you know i quite like business success as well you know it's the end of the virtuous circle of getting the people piece right so it's always nice to sell something big and to be beating um beating budgets and so on but i think actually it's 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 the days when you think oh, it was a brilliant day we had a fantastic day with that team we did you know we did some great work we we enjoyed it it was constructive um, you know, better than I thought it went, and you, you sort of go away with a sense of satisfaction, and, and maybe not surprised, perhaps, but you know, it was better than you expected. Those are the days that I'm happiest with. Yeah, so it's it kind of comes down to when you make a difference, but when you have fun doing it along yeah. the way. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. That's yeah. great. Thanks so much, Tim, for sharing your insights today. I really, really enjoyed our chat. It's a real pleasure. Nice catching up with you after all these years as well, Eva. Yes, definitely. That was Tim Kidd all about putting people first. I really, really enjoyed our conversation and it was so nice to catch up after, you know, after 10 years. It's been 10 years since I left that organisation. So it was really, really nice to reconnect with Tim. I'd like to recap on what we discussed. So Tim spoke about putting people first in an organisation and this actually leads to business growth and enabling client growth as well by focusing on your people first. And he said it's not something that he's read in a business book. It's just something he's witnessed firsthand and something he's implemented himself and something that actually works. 
one way to really put your people first is to show a level of gratitude. So just to say thanks. And I know Emiliana Simon Thomas on our podcast about happiness at work spoke about how important gratitude is for happiness at work generally. He said it's about creating an environment where people actually enjoy coming to work, that they get a great sense of fulfillment from the work that they do, and they're actually making a difference, whether that's to their clients or in the world at large. Creating a way for people to actually interact. So the gratitude and the interaction comes from the, you know, the breakfast club on Friday that he spoke about. It's not a huge investment of money, but it gives people that opportunity to interact in a in an informal way. We spoke about growth as well and how growth is different for different people. Different people want to grow in different ways. They want to learn in different ways and they value different things. We spoke about the importance of personalization and putting the human back in work and, you know, coming back to that idea of growth and the fact that people grow in different ways. We spoke about the difference between managing and leading and Interestingly, Tim said something similar to what Stephen Naughton said on last week's podcast, which was when you become a leader, the book really stops with you. We spoke about culture as well and how culture needs to be clear, concise and consistent. And those are the three things that really underpin leading as well. The word trust came up several times and creating a culture where you actually trust your people and you give them that level of autonomy to get on with the job and how important that is. Trust really underpins everything. People are given that sense of autonomy. They have the option to work from home, to work from their clients' offices. They're not clocking in and clocking out, so they have a degree of flexibility. They also have a choice and control in in how to achieve the targets that have been assigned to them. We spoke about having fun in the workplace and not taking yourself too seriously. Speaking about the, the qualities of a great leader, we spoke about humility and confidence and the fact I suppose that everyone makes mistakes everyone has bad days but it's about being comfortable enough with yourself and to really focus on the good things a manager does things that the team does but does them better and it's quite humbling then when you become a leader and you manage people who who are better at their jobs than you are and again echoing what myself and Stephen Norton spoke about, Tim reflected that face-to-face connection works best. So digital communication, you know, the the difference between listening to someone versus seeing someone versus actually interacting face-to-face is really huge. Some of the tips that he had for becoming a great leader is to work for someone really, really good. And again, Having that self-awareness and self-confidence to know that not having 100% confidence is normal, but don't let that affect your competence. Always, always ask for help or advice or other people's point of views. Have some trusted advisors that you can go to. And really underpinning everything that we spoke about was a sentence that I will read back that Tim mentioned. So get the people piece right and everything else follows. That's it for this week's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed making it. 
I'd really love to get your feedback as always. Keep the questions coming. I love the interaction. If you want to reach out to me, I'll put my details in the show notes. You'll find me anywhere on social media. I'm, a, I'm quite active on LinkedIn and you'll find me Aoife O'Brien. If you know someone you think would benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. And I'd like to apologize for the background noise, which I'm recording this during a storm. Um, So in case you hear any wind in the background, that's what that is. Until next week. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to the Happier at Work podcast with Aoife O'Brien. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast.